There was once a traveling circus that arrived on the outskirts of a town in Denmark, and while they were setting up for their festival, their tent caught fire. And so the manager sent the clown, who was already dressed and made up for his performance, into the neighboring village to fetch help. Especially as there was danger that the fire would spread across the fields of dry stubble and engulf the village itself. The clown hurried into the village and requested the inhabitants to come as quickly as possible to the blazing circus and to help put out the fire. But the villagers took the clown's shouts simply for an excellent piece of advertising, meant to attract as many people as possible to the performance. They applauded the clown and laughed until they cried. The clown felt more like weeping than laughing. He tried in vain to get people to be serious, to make it clear to them that this was no stunt, that he was not pretending, but was in bitter earnest, that there really was a fire. His supplications only increased the laughter. People thought he was playing his part splendidly, until finally, the fire did engulf the village. It was too late for help, and both circus and village were burned to the ground. God is the fire. We Christians are the clown. When it comes to our belief in God, it's not like trying to convince someone of our opinion. It's not like trying to convince someone that LeBron James is the best basketball player that has ever played the game. The fire is real. Whether people can see it or not, whether people are willing to admit that it's there or not, it is real. We are simply conveying the truth that exists, and people can laugh at us as clowns for spreading something they think is false, or they can accept it. Because God is the fire that is coming, whether people accept it or not. In the letter of James, there's the verse that we've heard many times before, where he says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. What is he saying? I think part of what he's saying is that what we do is a reflection of who we are. That I am someone who knows God, and my life is intended to reflect that. The degree of my belief in God is the degree to which that is reflected in my life. But what is belief in God? Right? Is it just me giving my will over to this idea of something, and so I can choose to take or leave that idea behind? No, because God is the fire. Here's two ways of maybe defining belief. One is, it is a means of entrusting myself to the meaning that upholds me and the whole world. Entrusting myself to what gives meaning to me and the whole world. Or another way, kind of more Christian in nature would be understanding our existence as a response to the Word, the Word made flesh, that upholds all things. What's common with both of those is that we believe in something that pre-exists us, right? The thing that gives meaning to the whole world. And my belief is tying myself to that thing, to that someone who gives that meaning to our existence. Why do we say that that is the case? Well, if we hold to what the book of Genesis tells us, that we are created in the image and likeness of God, 
that every human person is created in the image and likeness of God, then that means that who we are is a reflection and is shaped by the very nature of God. God's nature is stamped, imprinted on our human nature because we are made in his image and likeness. So whether you acknowledge belief in God or not, every human reality is marked by the existence of God. And so every year when we celebrate this feast of the Trinity, that we believe in God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this has meaning and significance. Because it's not just a theological or philosophical idea that this is who God is, but coming to know and to understand God as one in three persons helps us to come to understand ourselves better, if this is in fact true, that we are made in His image and likeness. And to reject that or to deny that ends up being a denial of our very nature. Right? If I deny an aspect of God or if I reject some truth of God, but I am marked, I am shaped by that nature of God, then I'm rejecting a part of myself. Or you can think of it analogously in this way. As human beings, we need light, right? We need sunlight in our life. It gives us vitamins, it gives us energy, it gives us other things that I don't know because I'm not a doctor. But we know that light is important, especially where we live, right? Because what happens when we don't have light? We are more lethargic, we sleep more, and some people even struggle with depression that comes from that lack of sunlight because it's contrary to our nature. Our nature is to be for multiple hours a day in sunlight. God is the light that we require. And to reject a part of God is to live in that darkness and it will have an effect on our life. So if I've convinced you that that's true, then here are three quick points about the nature of God that influence who we are and our nature as human beings. The first is pouring out in love, right? As Christians, we believe that God is love. Right? As we heard in the gospel, God, the Father, so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son so that all who believe in him might have eternal life. And the Son, when he went to the cross, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the advocate, the counselor, the one who gives of himself to intercede on our behalf. See, the Father pours out his love to the Son, and the Son pours out his love to the Father. And the love that ties them together is the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that for us as Christians, the very lens with which we see everything in the world is love. Now, that might seem kind of second nature, because in North America, marked by Christianity, that's generally held by Christians and non-Christians alike. But in countries that have not been marked and shaped and built up by Christianity, that's not the case. Love is not the first lens that they look through to understand the world. And love, not as this idea of acceptance or only compassion, but love as pouring out 
this self-emptying love of the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father. Because what does Jesus tell us in the Gospel? The measure that you give is the measure that you will receive. So what does that mean? For me, I've encountered many people who struggle when they retire because they don't know what gives meaning and purpose to their life anymore, right? They poured themselves out in their career and in their job, and now that that isn't there anymore, they don't know where to pour themselves out anymore. Now they have all this spare time and free time, and now they can do whatever they want. And so they do a lot of things that they never had time to do before, and they do them all, and then within a few months, they've kind of done them all to their heart's content. I've played all the golf that I can play, and I've watched all the TV and shows that I can watch. Now, what do I do? Because even in retirement, we need to have a place where we are pouring ourselves out. It's ingrained in our nature that the way that I will come to know love is in the way that the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit binds them together, which is in self-emptying. This is the love that we understand the world with. Second one, a communion of persons. That within the one God, we have this perfect unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus' prayer at the Last Supper is, Father, I pray that they may be one as you and I are one. That the unity of the Holy Trinity is the desire for all of humanity. Not just unity among Christians, unity among all souls that walk the earth. That we are intended to be bound together in unity. What does that mean? It means that our starting point as human beings is dependence, not autonomy. My autonomy is not the starting point of how I enter into the world. How I engage with the world as a Christian is first the acknowledgement that I am dependent. Right? And really, that's true for most of our life. We are dependent at the start. We are dependent at the end. And there's this little middle part where we can trick ourselves that I'm actually autonomous and that I can do things for myself and that I don't need to depend on anybody else. But the Father is dependent on the Son, who is dependent on the Father, who are dependent on the Holy Spirit, because if one person from the Trinity does not exist, God does not exist. We are dependent beings, because God depends on all three persons together. And the last one, distinction. I don't know if you've ever seen the classic image. It's got three circles forming a triangle, and there's a line between making that triangle and then a circle in the middle, and they all connect in the middle. And so the top circle is Father, the side is Son, and the other side is Holy Spirit. And in the middle of the circle says God. And so connecting to the middle, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. And so in this perfect union, in this perfect communion, there is distinction. There's distinction of roles, of tasks, of responsibilities from the Father to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. 
What does that mean? It means that we believe as Christians that perfect unity is possible even in difference. And not just despite difference, but that actual unity doesn't come from assimilation, but it comes from holding the distinction side by side. How? Think of a family unit. The father is not the wife, the mother, and the mother is not the father, and the children are definitely not the parents. They are each distinct in their role and in their place in the family. And what happens if you try to assimilate that? What happens if mom tries to be her daughter's best friend? Not good. What happens if a child tries to be a parent? Well, they do try, and then we put them back in their place. There are distinct roles within a family, but perfect union in that family is possible with those distinct roles. There are many others. But our human nature is stamped with the nature of God because we are made in His image and likeness. And so whether we give our assent of faith, whether our will is turned in belief towards that God or not, our life is marked by it. He is the fire. But when we deny a part of it, we end up denying a part of ourselves. This is why for us as Christians, prayer is so essential to our life. Because it's in prayer that I open myself up to that nature, that truth of God, to reveal to me the truth of who I am. To come to understand myself better in this mirror image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is why the liturgy, if you listen to the liturgy, it is constantly marked by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so that it is given back to us, that it is revealed to us. Because when I pray, I give my assent to the thing, to the one who gives meaning to myself and to all of existence. And when I do that, I come to the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding of God that allows me to live in the world. So that I can come to understand better how love is first about a pouring out and emptying. That communion means unity among all people. And that distinction, difference, is not a hurdle to unity, but it's actually necessary for proper unity among peoples. Because for us as Christians, all glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, who was and is and always will be.